we want to pick up there in verse 15 of First Colossians. You remember last week we talked about building a spiritually healthy congregation. In other words, what Paul uh, outlined in his introduction here to the uh, church at Colossae and what it entailed as far as uh, being spiritually healthy as far as a congregation. And this week, we're going to pick up where we left off at uh, verse 14 last week and get into the strength of the congregation, not just building a spiritually healthy congregation, but what's going to make that congregation healthy, what's going to strengthen that congregation. And this is what we're going to talk about uh, for just a few minutes this morning. In First Colossians, let's begin reading in verse 15. It says, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things. And by him all things consist, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Now, I think it's pretty clear for us to see where Paul is saying we draw our strength from. Uh, this is, of course, some of my most favorite scripture of, of all time. I mean, because I'm, you know, a, a staunch uh, young earth creationist. I believe that God created the earth in six literal days. I believe uh, that our earth has uh, been here for more or less around 6,000 years or so. I don't believe in this millions and billions of years stuff. Uh, I believe that a lot of different uh, smart people have tried to figure out a lot of different things, but the one thing that they have yet to enter into is the mind of our God. Because you see, uh, what appears before us, what appears in all of creation, that man thinks, I've got this figured out, uh, is just a blip in God's mind. You see, let's look at what Paul is really saying here. You see, last week, he talked about, <coughs> excuse me, what it took to build that spiritually healthy congregation. You remember praying one for another, praying for the strength of the congregation, praying for those in the congregation. And we saw these things outlined by Paul. He, like we talked about, the blueprint that he laid down for the healthy congregation. And this week he gets into where that strength is coming from, where it is drawn from. You remember now this church at Colossae, okay? We talked a little bit about it last week because it is one of the uh, 
churches over there in the area called Asia Minor, or what we would call today Turkey. And, you know, as you, if you study, uh, we talked, you know, last week that the, the church was dealing with heresies within the church over there. They had people coming in teaching these uh, her- heretical uh, teachings that, that Paul had never taught. Now, as you know, most people believe that Paul hadn't been to this church, but it was started by uh, some of the Ephesians uh, where he spent about three years. And then because this church is about 125 miles away from Ephesus. So they think that down through the valley that these people that were at Ephesus, because what it talks about in Ephesians, that all the people of the earth or all the people of Asia heard the gospel uh, from the people at Ephesus. So they think that the people spread down through the valley. And what is really, really interesting, okay, if you're up on your revelation, okay, the seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation. You remember those letters? Well, the very last one, the church at Laodicea. Y'all know that church, don't you? That's the one we don't want to be. We don't want to be the church at Laodicea because there was, uh, you know, there was, that's the one that Christ was knocking at the door seeking to come in. If any man would either, uh, let him enter in, that was that church. Well, that church at Laodicea is about a mile from this church, Colossae. You see, those churches were very close apart, uh, uh, very close to each other. So it's believed that uh, these letters that were told to exchange, uh, the Colossians and the Laodiceans, that a lot of those things that we see mentioned also in Revelation about what's going on in that church are probably finding their root here in their beginnings in this church. What's going on at the church at Colossae, that these people are dealing with the formation, the foundation of what's going to become known as the Gnostics, the, the people uh, who think that knowledge is the key. <coughs> there some type, what Gnostics believe is there's some type of secret knowledge, that, that there's a spiritual plane that that. You are, you know, if you if you uh, learn these things, you are in the spiritual know. In other words, you've got the information that somebody else needs. And you see, that's totally, totally opposite from what the Bible teaches. You see, God's word is meant for all of us. God's word is meant for everyone. Jesus Christ said, I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. He told, remember he told Nicodemus over there uh, that he'd come for all of mankind. You see, he didn't come just to save a select few. He didn't come to just uh, call out a certain people and endow them with knowledge that nobody else knew about. No, all that is heretical. In other words, it's out of the Bible. There's nothing uh, about that that's found in Scripture. So Paul when he's letting the church know where their strength is coming from, he makes it very, very clear. You see, these Gnostics would teach that there were uh, emanations, I guess is what they would call them, spiritual beings that were between God and Christ. It's a bunch of foolishness is what it is. But they thought that these Emanations were uh, meteoraries, intermediaries between God and Jesus. 
And what they taught was that Jesus was a good man and a good person, but he wasn't really deified until the dove come down at the baptism. And when the dove came down, it deified him. And then after the, when the dove lighted on him, before he died on the cross, the dove left. So he wasn't really God when he died. And you see, oh, no, exactly right. That's not scripture. But you see, that's what they're teaching. Like, I know it's not in scripture, but I know these things, so you need to listen to me. Excuse me, excuse me. And you see, this is what Paul is saying. If it is not here, I don't care how many lips are saying it. If it's not in here, it's not the truth. It's not the truth. I want to read you uh, this little verse over here before we go further into this. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says this. You may recognize this. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You ever heard that verse before? You've heard that one, haven't you? The word of God is quick and powerful. What do you think he's talking about there? The word of God, when he writes that. Word of God. This is the word of God, isn't it? This right here. This is exactly the word of God. But listen to this. This scripture goes on. Listen to what verse 13 says. I want you to hear this. Because the writer's talking about the word of God. And when we read that, we're like, okay, the word of God. I'm holding the word of God here. The word of God is in front of me. And that's the truth. But listen to what he says as he continues in verse 13. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. Whose sight? The word of God. The word of God. You see, Jesus Christ is the word of God. You remember what John said in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word what? Was God. Amen. Hey, that means something, doesn't it? You see, a lot of people today are telling you that we've taken Scripture a little bit too serious. Maybe let's back off of that just a little bit. Let's just, you know, let's don't look at Scripture so seriously. That's a hindrance to us. I mean, there's so-called Baptist preachers that are in the pulpit preaching that junk this morning. And it's junk. That's exactly what it is. Because when you get away from Scripture, you get away from God. Because this word is Christ. In print. Jesus is the word in the flesh. You can't escape it. You can't get away from it. We understand and we know that God, uh, Jesus Christ is God's son. He is the word made flesh. We can't get away from the word. Now look at what Paul says when he was writing to the church at Colossae. We'll just take these few verses here, just a few minutes. Because you know me, if I was able to, I could probably preach for a couple of hours on this. And everybody says, amen, that you're not able to. <laughs> At least we're hoping not. I hope that water runs out pretty quick. Let me go ahead and get a drink here and get started. I think I got about an hour and a half in there. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Verse 15 says, who is the image of? 
of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Now think about this, what Paul is saying to this church. He's been writing to them, telling them, you need to pray uh, for your fellow brothers and sisters. You need to pray that you will be in the way. <clears throat> and then he ended it like we ended last week. Or in verse 14, he said, in whom, he's talking about uh, Jesus Christ, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. You remember we talked about that last week, and then Paul goes into this where we're covering this week, speaking of this same Son of God, this same Jesus Christ, who is the image of the invisible God. Now, think about this. Scripture tells us that at no point, at no time, has any man seen God. You agreed on that? Scripture tells us that. No man has seen God at any time. Paul speaks of him here as the invisible God. Now, if I come before you, if I come before this congregation and say that I have seen God in a vision, what about that? Is that scriptural? No, absolutely not. I am a liar. I am an absolute liar. Because the word of God says that no man has seen God at any time. And you see, this is what Paul is getting into. This is what he's trying to teach the church so that they can, when these heresies are coming into the church, they can say, wait just a minute. Let me check this out according to scripture. Does it fit with scripture? Because if it doesn't fit in scripture, it doesn't fit in our church. He said, who is the image? He's speaking of Christ. Get this. Jesus Christ is what? The image of God. The image of the invisible God that no man has ever seen. That's Jesus Christ. You see, when Moses was standing at the burning bush, he was talking to Jesus Christ. When Adam and Eve walked through the garden in the evening, and met with God, they were walking with Jesus Christ. When Joshua got over there to Jericho and the angel of the Lord come down and said, get down, boy, uh, kneel before me, he was talking with Jesus Christ. Well, he says, that's the angel of the Lord. No, no, no. And you'll find out, you go through scripture, if there's ever an angel that shows up and a man hits his knee, they're very quick to say, get up, get up. You, you ain't worshiping me. I'm your fellow kinman. I worship God. But you see all throughout scripture, we see these things and instances where a man may say, I've seen God or I met with God. They met with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. So if someone comes into our church, if someone writes a book that's sitting on the Christian bookstore bookshelf, if someone has a program that's on TV that mentions that they have seen God, they're a liar. They are a liar. No man has seen God at any time. Paul makes this very clear. It's Jesus Christ who is the image 
of the invisible God. Notice this, the firstborn of every creature. The firstborn of every creature. You see, this is not something that was approached, this plan of salvation. This wasn't haphazardly done. This wasn't something that caught God by surprise and says, oh, son, we're going to have to figure out something. We're going to have to figure out what we need to do. No. Planned out from the foundations of the world. Yes, sir, read. God didn't do anything haphazardly. Look what Paul continues on, verse 16. <laughs> and I've got to tell you, this is, this is one of my most favorite verses of all time. For years and years of my life, I never understood this. For years and years of my life, I had no idea what this verse was saying. For years and years of my life, no one ever taught me what this verse was saying. Now I know. Now I know. And I want you to know too. For by him, who is him? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the image of the invisible God. It's Jesus Christ. Notice what he says. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. This is Jesus Christ we're speaking of. Who is the creator? Jesus Christ. Now, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, we're all agents in the process of creation. But we know that the Son had specific purposes. We know that the Son was given specific uh, assignments to take care of. Notice what Paul is talking about. Now, Paul is not somebody that's just sitting around thinking these things up now. Okay? We have to understand, we have to remember that Paul <coughs> had in all likelihood, uh, he speaks of uh, being called up to the third heaven. And he speaks of it in the third person. But in all likelihood, Paul has seen pretty much probably the same thing that John has saw when he's writing Revelation. In other words, uh, Jesus Christ called this man to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And because of his knowledge that he had in all things Jewish, he was a very great a studied man in this. But he had been called up and seen these things in a vision and seen many things that he says are unlawful to talk about. You know, you see, he had to wait till John got, uh, was revealed to John before it was able to be written down. Paul couldn't write them down. So this man knows what he's talking about. But notice what the, uh, the specific purpose, the role he signs to Jesus Christ, for you and I to understand that by him were all 
things created. All things that are in heaven, that are in earth. Whether it's visible, whether it's invisible. Whether it's a throne, a dominion, a principality, or a power. All things were created by him and for him. We talked about Revelations 4.11 before, you know. And for thy pleasure, they are and were created. All things were created by him. All things were created for him. Look what Paul goes on to say, verse 17. And he is before all things. And by him all things consist. He is before all things, and by him all things consist. Now, think what we're looking at. How to be a strong, a spiritually strong congregation. How to be a congregation that is not beset by the things of the world, that is not swayed uh, by the latest and the greatest that comes along in this world, how to be a congregation that is settled, uh, that is anchored in God's word. Amen. It's through Jesus Christ, is it not? It's through the scriptures. When you get away from the scriptures, when you try to start changing around the scriptures, you get away from God. That's what any heretical teaching will start off with. Is uh, the I know the Bible may say this, but we have to consider this, or this has changed, or that has changed, or we found this, or we've discovered that. You see, they seek to change the word of God. And when you seek to change the word, what are you doing? You're changing Jesus Christ. That don't work. That don't work. Notice what Paul says to the congregation, that Jesus Christ is before all things. Do you know what he's saying there? You realize what he's saying there? He is before all things. Anybody that is before all things by the very definition of who that is, has to be God. Jesus Christ is God. That's why he was nailed to a cross. That's why they killed him. Because you see, the, the high priest, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, they understood what he was saying when he said, uh, guys, before Abraham was, I am. That, that meant, they knew what he was saying. He was saying, I'm God. I'm God. That's why they killed him. That's why they killed him. And this is what Paul is saying to them, to the church at Colossae. People are coming in and they're teaching you these heresies. They're teaching you false things. Listen, you've got to go back to the scriptures. If it's not in the scriptures, it's not biblical. And at this time, Paul's talking about the Old Testament. That's what he was talking about. Jesus Christ is before all things. You see, that's that. Uh, I don't know what them cats that come around knocking at your door, are trying to give you all kind of papers. I don't know what they do with this verse. 
Evidently, it must not be in their Bible. Evidently, they don't have this verse. But Jesus Christ showed up at the beginning. No, he is before all things. You see, he is God. Before anything was, he is. And get this, and by him all things consist. Let me, let me tell you guys a secret, okay? Now, uh, <clears throat> a lot of uh, smart people would not readily admit this. All right? And, and a lot of your uh, educational TV programs will not let on to this. All right? But I'll just go ahead and let you know. There is more that we don't know than we do know. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Anybody? Hey, you ever heard of... You ever heard of, or what's the program on black holes before? Yeah, I've heard. You probably heard them talking about on Discovery Channel or Science Channel talk about them black holes out in space, uh, them great masses. Guess what? Guess what? Nobody's ever seen a black hole. Well, surely we've got a picture of one of them. No, we don't. You know where black holes exist? On paper, in numbers. That's where black holes exist. You're saying it couldn't be true? No, I'm just saying that's never seen one. Never observed one. Well, we, we know how these star nurseries out in, in space, these big nebulae stars are, are created and they're born and gravity pulls the dust together and, and they build those stars. Guess what? Guess what? Nobody's ever seen that before. You know that? that that's not in little, in little print down at the bottom of the science books. They don't tell you that. Oh, by the way, we've never seen this before. Oh, by the way, this has never been observed. Oh, by the way, this is not scientific. This is an opinion. You see, they don't tell you all that. What they can't grasp a hold of, that it is Jesus Christ. Get this now. Jesus Christ that holds everything together. That's it. The hand of God. The hand of God holds everything together. If I had time, which this would probably even be even more boring than uh, the stars thing, but we could get into the strong and weak nuclear forces of the atom. Because when you get into quantum mechanics, analyze this. I know it kind of gets in care, care about the box. This, when you get into that, the quantum mechanics, that, that stuff down at an atomic level, Scientists are absolutely baffled. It's absolutely, everything about it is counterintuitive. It makes no sense. They can't figure out how this little atom, this little neutron with these electrons spinning around it, which is probably 98% empty space, but yet it's solid. How can that be? How can that be? It's these forces that keep those electrons. But what is it that keeps those electrons spinning around all over the place? By him, all things consist. Oh, Joey, that's way too simplistic. You, oh, Jesus holds it together. You got that right. You got it right. There you go. That's all you need to know. Jesus holds it together. 
Just like he holds our lives together. Just like he holds our church together. Just like he holds everything together. It is in his hands. And if we're not trusting him, if we're not putting our faith in him, then we are on the wrong track. Paul's telling us. And then get this. Verse 18. And we're going to close. And he, Jesus Christ, is the head of the body. Now we've talked about in other chapters, the body, which he mentions here, is the church. The body is the church. That says we're the body of Christ. But Paul is saying he, Jesus Christ, is the head of the body. The church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Very plainly. If we do anything in our church, if we do anything in our churches apart from the leadership of Jesus Christ, we're doing it on our own. Doing it on our own. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. It ain't no pope. It ain't no uh, president of the convention. It ain't no presbytery. It ain't no pastor. It ain't no elder. It is Jesus Christ. And if it's anybody else, then it's false. That's just plain and simple. There's all kind of churches all over this land today who follow this charismatic leader, uh, somebody that uh, knows how to speak real well, somebody that sells a lot of books, but they're not following Jesus Christ. Paul said it is he, Jesus Christ, that is the head of the body, who is the beginning. Now get this. This is good. <coughs> who is the beginning? The firstborn from the dead. The first, well, you know, what, what is he talking about? What, what is Paul talking about? We see, you think about this. Now, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead, hadn't he? Elijah raised a cat from the dead, one of them little boys over there. Or we talk about a little boy, but people had been raised from the dead. What is Paul talking about? The firstborn from the dead. You see, all those people were raised up by the power of God. The power of God raised those people up. But you see, what does Romans teach us? The wages of sin is death. Right? The wages, you see, that's not just a pretty little saying. That's the word of God. The soul that sinneth, Deuteronomy, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. And guess what? Guess what? Even though I try to pin everything on Adam, not this one, the one way back. Every, even though I try to pin everything, why would you have to uh, go along with that? Why would you have to sin in the garden? Even though I try to pin everything on him, guess what? I'm right there with him. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Because I cannot go back and say, well, I've, been, I've lived a sinless life. Yeah, if I'm saying that, y'all better back away. Lightning bolts are fixing to come down. 
Because I've lied. Because all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You see, this is the word of God now. Listen, this is the word. The soul that sins, it shall die. The wages of sin is death. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Except Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Well, he's the son of God. So it's not really, no, no, no. He was a man. God in the flesh. God in human flesh that lived a sinless, perfect life and yet who bore our transgressions, bore my stripes, bore my cross, bore my pain, bore my punishment on the cross of Calvary. But you see, according to the law, to God's word, the soul that doesn't sin cannot die. The person that lives a perfect life does not have to die. And you see, if it was been left up to you and I to attain that on our own, guess what? Still be bound for hell right now. If not already there. But this man, this son of God, come in the flesh, become a man, lived this life, and became the firstborn from the dead. In other words, up to every and up to this point, every person that had ever died was legally bound to be dead. There was no legal precedent. They were bound to die because they had sinned. But then Jesus Christ came along. Death rolled that stone over the grave over there, and guess what? Went back to do the paperwork and found out something, didn't he? Wait a minute. Uh, no death certificate here. What, what's going on? We can't hold this. He can't stay in the grave. He can't be dead because he has not sinned. He is perfect in the sight of God. And the grave couldn't hold him. And he came forth out of that grave. And then what did he do? He presented that sacrifice to the Father and turned around. The Father said to us, if you'll just believe what I've done for you, all you have to do is accept what I've done for you. And this is yours. That's, that's it. That's what Paul's saying to the church. And all things that he might have the preeminence. Y'all know what preeminence is, don't you? First place. First place. Preeminence. Jesus Christ must be first in our life. What do we need? What do we want? What do we desire? If Jesus Christ is not first, all those other things have become God in our life. Oh, no, no, no. 
uh, Jesus understands I have to I have to put my family first. I have to I have to be the breadwinner. I have to do this. I have to take care of that. Jesus understands that. No, 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 no. You don't understand. If Jesus Christ is not first, if he is not preeminent, then these other things are God's ahead of him. And guess what? That don't work. That don't work. There's people all over this land today that are walking in the days, that are walking in a haze, that are playing church somewhere, that think they're doing all well and fine, that think they're doing all well and good. They've showed up at church. Jesus has checked them off as being here. Uh, it's all good. And they go and live their life the way they want to the rest of the week. No, Jesus came to this lie, gave everything. And the Father has specific purpose that this was accomplished, that in all things, he, Jesus Christ, might have first place, the preeminence. You see, when you go to the Father and say, uh, you know, this this Jesus guy, you know, your son, uh, you know, some people want to uh, treat him like buddy Jesus, you know, like, uh, yeah, good deal. Uh, you know, I believe in you now. I'm going to live my life the way I want to. No, you're not. No, you're not. You see, he must be first. He has to be first. That's the way God wants it. God the Father, whom none of us have ever seen, whom Jesus Christ is the image of, that same Father says, my son will be first. You may not want it that way. You may not believe that it's going to be that way, but my son will be first. That's the glory of God. And you see, this is what Paul is letting the church know. This is what Paul is writing to them and it's trying to get them to strengthen them in their walk, in their way that they might do away with this heresy within the church. That if they could understand, that if they could realize that through Jesus Christ is all things accomplished. Through him, through him, that he might have the preeminence in not just our life, but in our churches and everything we do, every word, every deed, Jesus Christ might be first. Well, joy, people will think I'm crazy then. You got that right. You got that right. They'll think you're crazy. You're a wacko. They'll think, what have you, what have you done? How can you believe in something you've never seen? How can you trust in something that you don't know about? Oh, contraire. We know. We know. This word right here is given as proof of God's intervention in our life. God has given us everything that we've ever needed to know or should desire to know in this life to understand that he has intervened in mankind's life and has made a way for our salvation. It's all right here. You see, when people try to get away from this, it's where they mess up. It's all right here. Brother Mel, come with a verse of this song. And listen, this is what Paul 
writing to the church, desires for them. This is what God desires for us today. It, it's amazing at how the priorities in our life will begin to fall into place when Christ is placed in his proper place. And that's first. First and foremost. There's no co-winners. There's no co-shares. It's Christ and Christ alone. And you see, when we put him there, when we put him there, priorities in our life begin to fall into place. Things begin to happen. Things begin to happen because he is first in our life. This is our invitation today. If the Holy Spirit is dealing with you, you've never accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, let this be the day that you do that. Let this be that day. If there's something you need to pray about that you want to come down to these altars and pray about, then let's take care of that today. But whatever it is, whatever it is that you have a need of in your life, let's take care of it before we leave this place that Christ might be preeminent in your life.